Welcome to our second time of the, being in the great outdoors. It's not so bad, but August hasn't hit yet. Just wait. So I know I'm praying that we um, were able to find favor with the, the officials real soon here. I know I got to listen to, I, I know at work we get on and we go on our Zoom calls and, and all that. And I got to do one this week with um, Christian lawyers. They were talking about what's going on in, in churches and, and, and the different um, uh, temporary restraining orders they have and lawsuits going in. And, um, you know, the singing, like we saw two weeks ago, it said there's no singing or chanting in church. What I learned is that is a hollow guidance. I'm going, okay, what does hollow mean? Found out that that is only related to employees of the churches. So, you know, we have no employees at SOMA, so it's, it's hollow. It doesn't mean anything. What I found out, too, though, is, is the one that says you cannot meet indoors. That is not hollow. That is firm. So that's why we're out here cooking. Um, so... I think we all need to make sure that we include this in our prayers for, for wisdom, how to respond in these, to these situations. I know I, I sent Al a leak where um, John MacArthur's church in, in Sun Valley, California, you know, they sent a letter, you know, it reads really well, like they're doing all these brave actions and they're not going to stand for a meeting outdoors. They're going to meet like they normally did, but then there was nothing given nothing firm given like starting now there's nothing and today they're under a tent still so just pray for that guidance i know churches in nevada they're really getting the short end the supreme court ruled that they have to follow their local governor's law that said movie theaters can have up to 200 people in them casinos can open but churches have to, cannot meet indoors and even the 5-4 decision and the, and the Supreme Court Justice that wrote the dissension saying, my peers have it wrong. You can't show partiality. This breaks the Constitution. But uh, nevertheless, you know, this came so... It's interesting, like I said before, it's interesting these times and how quickly it came to see what happens. And then the other thing, I know my community group has been reading the book by Francis Chan letters to the church so here this big mega mega church pastor then simi valley went to san francisco and abandoned his big mega church ideas and what they would do is they'd have a house church and and what you would see is that house church would get to over 25 they would split off and their whole thing was raising people up to be able to lead a house church well, now you see some of these big churches, like there's one that's 10,000 in, in the District of Columbia, Mark Devers Church, who runs Nine Marks, and he's seriously talking with his elders about abandoning 
the church and the facility and going to house churches to be more compliant and, and also be more fluid and be able to meet easier and, and meet the challenge of this new world order in America. So in spite of all this, we get to meet today and we're going to continue in our series in Ephesians. And I'm glad so many of you are enjoying this book. Um, I know in our community group, we look at the passage coming up. So we talk about on Thursdays and I get to steal all those ideas for my message. <laughs> so last week we went over the characteristics of, of being a church. We talked about gentleness, humility, and patience. And Paul said that these characteristics all true believers have and they demonstrate. So today we're going to see what Paul is telling us about the individual gifts Jesus has for a believer. So open up your Bibles and let's go to Ephesians 4 and we're going to go through verses 7 through 16 today. 7 through 16. And it starts off, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he may fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And we are, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint which with it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Jesus, we just want to thank you so much that we can come and, and see this passage today and, and how timely it is that we get to talk about this. Uh, Holy Spirit, just be here now. Holy Spirit, just be here. Fill each one of us up. Help us to take time and make sure that we are, we are ready for today. We are clear. Just open our hearts, open our minds. Holy Spirit, may it be you on display here today sharing the same thing you did with Paul. Open our minds so we can get these words. We thank you so much for him. Amen. 
So last week we did touch on all that we have in common as believers. And we even saw in verses 4 through 6, we saw the seven ones that, that Paul listed, our oneness and unity, and how that plays out through the Trinity. But in verse 7, we get to go a different direction. 7 says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. When you see that word but there, leading off verse 7, think, think of the phrase in spite of. In spite of. So we have all these characteristics together as a body of Christ that's listed in 1 through 6. And it, the Trinity unites us. And we go out to 7 and it says, but, or in spite of this, believers, Paul is telling us that while we are all united and working together, Jesus has given each one of us unique gifts to be used in this ministry. And he distributed them to us in the amount he chose. And isn't, isn't that so unlike parents? You know, you think about your kids and you think about, okay, we need to do this evenly. I know in our household, it's great care is put into making sure birthday and Christmas, the same amount and the same cost, even if they're different, is all put into these gifts. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He gives what he wants to who he wants. And this is what he does. And do we see that elsewhere in the Bible? Do we see this Jesus doing this elsewhere in anything else? And the answer is yes. If you think about the parable that's in Matthew 20, 21 through 16, I'm not going to read all 16 verses, but it's not about spiritual gifts. This is about how Jesus gives the same gift of eternal life to believers whenever they come on. And the parable is about a wealthy landowner. Now, he goes off into the village. Today, we would call that going into Home Depot. And he sees people looking for work. And so early in the morning, he sends them to his field. And he tells them, this is what I'm going to pay you. Now, he keeps going back at different times of the day. The last time he goes is the 11th hour, or basically what we would call 5 o'clock p.m. And he sends more workers out. And so at the end of the day, which the day ends when the sun goes down, he sends the workers to go get paid. And he has them paid in reverse order of when they were hired. So if you can imagine, the ones that were there at 6 o'clock in the morning to put in like a 12 to 14 hour day, they see the ones that put a three hour day get the wage they've made a deal to get. They're excited. They're probably thinking, I'm going to get so much more. And then when they got there, up to their pay, and they got the same amount, they were grumbling. And, and Jesus, the landowner, tells them in verse 15, Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or you begrudge my generosity. So the point Jesus wants you to get out of this is, um, I do with what I want, with what belongs to me. Right? I mean, the thief on the cross, we look at him. 
he was a believer for how long? I think we would call that minutes. When you think of how long your life's going to last, when he's up on that cross, his days are minutes, where we might think ours are years. And where did he wind up that day? Jesus said, Tonight, today you will be with me in paradise. So Jesus has that ability. And that's what we see with the amount of gifts. Um, and since we are a body, we will not have all the same gifts. I mean, you don't want a body having the same gift of flexibility as an elbow. You, you don't want that. You want your body to be able to do so much more. Um, and it's okay because different gifts in a body is so important for a body to function. So we need to thank Jesus for our gifts and then get to using them. In verse 8, in verse 8 it says, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now where did Paul get this? Paul reached back to Psalm 68, 18. And when you read that, you notice something's a little haywire. It is not word for word. Um, Psalm 68 is actor, actually a victorious hymn that David wrote after he captured Jerusalem, after he became king, officially. I mean, Samuel annoyed him, but Saul's now dead. And David is now fully king. And he went up. The Jebusites taunted him, said, you will never take this. But he did. Um, and we see the spoils or the treasures. This comes to the victor. Now to see greater detail what happened with David in Jerusalem and the song that he wrote, it's good to go to 2 Samuel and read chapters 5 through 7. 2 Samuel chapters 5 through 7. Because David defeats the Jebusites and he calls Jerusalem the city of David. And then before the peace and the victory hits, he has two more battles with the Philistines where he go, actually he shows us what a man of God he is. He seeks God's favor and God gives him the battle plans both times on how to defeat the Philistines. And then after that, kings want peace with David. They send him treasure. They send him stuff to build up this city. And then David brings up the Ark of the Covenant into the city. And then later in Psalm 68, 18, it says he brings the captives up in his train. And this is what a conquering king did. A conquering king brought back the people that had been previously captured. He would bring them back and they would get back with families and friends and, and, and no longer be a slave to the previous kingdom. An example of where we see this, we see this with what Abraham did for Lot, right? Back in that day in Genesis, you had several kingdoms, had a battle, and they lost. So they lost their possession, their animals, their people, everything was taken. The mistake they made was taking Lot. Abraham learned that Lot was taken, and he chased the enemy down, and it was about 150 miles that they chased down. And then in Genesis 14, 15, we see the final result. It says, then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions 
and the women and the people. So the conquering hero was able to bring these captives back. Also, we see in 1 Samuel 30, this happened to David. Before David was officially king, he was living among the Philistines, he would go out and, and wipe out these villages and take possessions for them. Well, it happened to his camp. And so we see David went with his men, they chased down these marauders, took care of them, and they brought everyone back. Everyone back. So then with that, how does verse 8 in Ephesians 4 match Psalm 68? Well, we have the most victorious king ever, don't we? In Jesus, he came down from heaven, he lived as a man, and then he conquered sin and death, and then he gave gifts to men. This occurs because Jesus, once back in heaven, victorious, sent the Holy Spirit back as our comforter, and then the Holy Spirit is also the one who empowers our gifts from Jesus. In verses 9 and 10, in saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Here we see that Christ, Christ fulfilled his prophecy that is listed, fulfilled the prophecy as listed all throughout the Old Testament. Jesus came down and became man, or incarnation, suffered, died, and rose again, resurrection, and he went back to heaven and received glorification. And then verses 11 and 12, it says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now this is a great foundational verse for the church. Now it's, it's not meant to be all-inclusive of the gifts that we get from God, but this is for the beginning of the church. This is the list of gifts that Christ gave to build up the foundation of the church. It says, number one, it says, He gave apostles and prophets. Now, Jesus had the twelve, and that included Matthias, who the, the eleven prayerfully chose to replace Judas. And then Jesus added Paul. And he added Paul in a way more dramatic way than the original eleven. And the apostles we read in the New Testament, they laid the strong foundation of the church. For through them, what do we have? We have the good news, which is the four gospel messages, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We also have the history of the early church in Acts. And we have the letters from the apostles and the early church leaders, early church leaders such as James, who is the brother of Jesus. This New Testament message from the Holy Spirit to believers we're fi we find out is still relevant and useful for teaching, as it was to the original audience. In the early church, 
is mentioned in Acts 13, 1 through 4, and then Acts 11, 21 through 28. God used prophets to bring the word of the Lord as the early leaders sought guidance. And I like when you look at this, they use prophets like, who should we send out on mission trips? And I think it's funny that looking at Paul's history, it always seems to be Paul the one they want to send out. I'm sure it was from God. I'm sure it was from God. But to me, I would agree with them. I would say, I still don't trust this guy. He's wiped out half my family. He's wiped out people I know in my town. Let, let's send him to the outer edges of the world. The second group, the second group he mentions are evangelists and shepherd teachers. Now, this, second this is the second foundational group that's mentioned. And a lot of smart people in doing the research for this, they feel this group replaced the first group in there. And I just don't think it even matters or it's not worth arguing about. I remember one day, early in my career up where I work now, I walked into the guard gate to pick up some guests and the, and the security forces guy that was supposed to help me, he was stationed right in front, the first person you see. He had three or four behind him and was sitting there waiting to get his attention because he's on the phone. I'm listening to the conversation of the people back there and I could quickly tell they have no clue who Jesus is just by the language they're using and, or they just didn't care. But what was the SP doing on the phone in front of me? He was talking to probably someone that went to the same church he did, and he was arguing about whether the, the office of apostle was still alive or not, because he felt he was an apostle. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, it's like, my friend, if you were, why wouldn't you act like one? I mean, here you have these coworkers behind you that you should be talking to, witnessing to, and instead, you're giving all of us Christians a bad name by, number one, not caring for the people around you and, and not paying attention to your job and just being an overall bad example. So, evangelists. Let's look at this word, evangelist. What does this word mean? Those of us that had the pleasure of being alive during the 70s, this word might look different to you than it does for others. When I think of evangelists, I think of a gentleman pulling up to your church, getting out, having big poofy hair that's combed back, um, wearing a nice polyester suit, and later in the decade, maybe even switching to a leisure suit, and, and then having a big wide tie, and then going up front and talking, and pretty soon, veins popping out of his forehead and his neck as he's telling you about fire and brimstone that awaits for you if you're, if you're not a savior. But taking a closer look at this word and getting away from the characterizations, there is a relation to this word in the story of Jesus. Now I'm about to drop some Greek on you. And your Greek word for the day is euangelion. Euangelion. What this word means is good news or the Gospels. And it's related to evangelists. It's, a, it's the same type of word. So 
An evangelist is someone with the gift of sharing the good news to people that haven't heard it and other unbelievers. So in a small way, in a small way, we are all asked to use this word, to be many evangelists. Now, by me saying this, um, I am not giving you permission to go on your Amazon app, buy a speaker suitable for the outdoors and a microphone, and go stand in front of Target and preach fire and brimstone. But you are allowed, you are allowed to spend every morning reading and learning God's word and then praying over it and, and asking Jesus to have your assignment ready that day and, and letting you know that who will be there, prepare that heart that you're going to come across that person and you're going to have a word of hope for them. So basically, what is your divine appointment for the day? And, and that way you're ready. So when the car won't start and you got a call for help, or you have someone come help you in, in, in the Lowe's parking lot and I missed my divine appointment yesterday or, or Friday. I missed it completely. Had a guy just walk up and offered to help me and Colleen get this heavy storage rack in the back of our car. Completely missed it. So don't be like me. Be ready. And then realize that you only might be there to plant spiritual seeds in them and not see it harvested. Um, I think about of a mission trip I went into China and I was with another gentleman and he had been working with this Chinese national all week. And we were sitting at the end of the day, it was supposed to be relaxed mode. We're both on one side of a booth and this Chinese national's on the other and he is really going for it. He's giving this guy the gospel of full barrels and the guy told us he was a Buddhist and he felt guilty in how lack of faith he had as a Buddhist. And, and so my friend was just really, not, he was unrelenting. Finally, I did kind of just motion to him that, hey, you know, you got your point across. You got your point across. Sometimes all we can do is plant the seed. You know, you're, you, you're not going to probably see a harvest right now, but somebody else's. But I let him know, I said, the good thing is, is you've planted this guy with so much of seeds that even any kind of, just a mist of spiritual rain, and this guy is going to sprout everywhere. Sprout everywhere. So, and then we have shepherds and teachers. Or to be even more accurate, you can read this as shepherds and in particular teachers. This is the office in the church that is the teaching shepherd who is under and responsible to the great shepherd Christ. These roles have a specific mission, and that is to build up the saints, you all, for the work in your gifting to build up the body of Christ. And then, why are we supposed to do all this? Why? In verse 13 it tells us, and it says, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Don't skip out on this meaning. It's powerful, 
And this verse is powerful for you and important for you every day. This should be a goal verse for all of us on this side of heaven. It says that sound teaching concerning Christ leads to a unity in the, of the faith. And this is done by being in his word every day and truly studying. And you will have a deep and correct knowledge of God. It doesn't mean that you know of God, but you know him correctly and that you grow in him constantly. Is it possible at any stage of life to continue growing in Christ? Yes, it is possible. Now, the goal gives, God gives us here, the goal God gives us here is not a little knowledge of Christ, but to grow in what? He says, the fullness of Christ. We are to display and demonstrate the qualities of Jesus. And that is God's mandate for us as believers. And the only way you do that is by knowing him through consistent work and study. Is it hard? Yes. Will you, will you miss the boat and miss the mark most days? Yes. But what are you supposed to do? Get back on it. Get back on it and keep moving. And the good news is you're not supposed to do this alone and in a vacuum. As a body, with fellow believers, you're supposed to be on the same path learning and with different gifts assisting you all do this together. For it says in 1 Corinthians 3.9, it says, We are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field and God's building. And what did we learn earlier when we went through Thessalonians? We are God's building block. We're ultimately going to be the building stones on the foundation that was laid. And then in a, parable, a parallel passage to what we went over last week in Ephesians 4 through 6, we're going to look back at 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 5. 4 through 6 was the, the verses on the seven ones that talked about how the Spirit made us all one. Let's look what Paul wrote about the gifts and the Trinity. He said, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So, again, like we saw last week, Paul is showing us this trinity it's at work in these gifts to the believer, even though they are different for each one of us, and it unites us. And again, notice, like we talked about last week, Paul uses the Trinity in reverse order from how we normally talk about it. And again, I think that's because he goes from who the gifts are empowered by, who they're from, to who the supreme and the control person is being God 
So we work for this fullness of God. We work for it. So we will not be derailed in this faith by a false teaching which seeks to glorify man. And we see that in verses 14 through 16. 14 through 16 says, So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. I love how Paul guides us here in this teaching. In our faith, we are to work to be mature, know the Word of God with the ultimate goal to the, know it to the fullness of Christ. And this contrast with the knowledge of a child. For think about what we teach children growing up. Our folklores, our... Angel, I don't want to ruin anything for you, but you know, we tell them about like Santa and, and the Easter Bunny and all that. And, and they buy into it. I mean, I loved those when I was a kid. I remember being brokenhearted when my neighbor told me there was no such thing as these things. I was stunned. And so think about how easily a child believes in that. And so our faith is not supposed to be like that. We're supposed to grow into a, a fullness of Christ, this maturity, so we're not easily swayed. Um, one of my things I did to prepare for this, I watched some of the pastors that you see in the American gospel movies and watched some of the, the heretical things they said. And you have a large body of people there listening to them, and they're all cheering when they say things like, God broke the law for Jesus. And they kept repeating this. It's like, no, <laughs> no, you want to you put garlic around your neck when you're watching this. It's like, it's not true. You're making this up. Read the Bible. Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't break it. So that is our goal, not to be like these, like these children that don't ever want to grow up. They don't ever want to get past the spiritual milk and get on to meat. Then our spiritual life, we are not supposed to stay in the realm of a child. For you see, when you look at some of these, these people attending these, these false churches, you see thousands. You see thousands coming. Um, the mail room alone for one of the, um, the biggest heretical pastors there's a guy that worked there that, you know, since left. He said, you would not believe the tens of thousands of letters they get every day stuffed with prayer requests and money seeking answers to prayer. He says, just incredible, just incredible how much and how gullible people are. So what hurts is these people that are doing this don't seem to have the basic knowledge of Jesus and how he lived on earth and what was important from him and what we're to do in the Bible. So when these wolves tell him that, hey, Jesus, Jesus wants you to prosper and be wealthy. And if you're not well and you're sickly, you just don't have enough faith. That is horrendous, folks. That is horrendous. And we need to be smarter and stronger than that.
And these people, they don't know any better because they don't have a deep knowledge or even a semi-deep knowledge of the Word. Because passages can be twisted and these people aren't going in and they're not looking at the Word to make sure what their pastor is telling them to be be true. One of the things was at another large church in Texas, people were out front just giving pamphlets and asking people, do you have your, you're going in, do you have a Bible? And they would say, no. They said, do you want one? We will give you a Bible, and then the, we know what the message is on. We'll give you information on that message so you can validate what he's telling you. And they didn't. So you had throngs of people going in with no Bible and no desire to even understand what the pastor was telling him, whether it's true or not. So, what a horrible shock they're going to be in for, though. You know, unless they're moved by the Holy Spirit, they're going to think they are doing the right thing and following the right path until death. So, in verses 15 and 16, we see the end of this section with the following words. Rather, speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What a challenging, but what an encouraging passage. Let's, let's look at what God is telling us. Number one. We are to share the good news of Christ in love. Number two, we are to share the good news of Christ because we have made knowing God through his word and through prayer our priority. Number three, because we are striving because we are striving to be in the fullness of Christ, we function with other believers in our body and because we are functioning in our spiritual gifts. We are functioning together in love. Every person in the body seeks to obtain the fullness of God. This causes the body to grow and reflect Christ and his love so others can't help but see that. And then five, when all of this occurs, the body is blessed. When we do this in this life, it's important. I take that back. What we do in this life is important if our goal is to be with Christ forever. Think about that. What we do in this life is important and if our goal is to be with Christ forever. James chapter 2 shows us that because we have faith, please understand this, because we have faith, we have obedient works demonstrated in our lives. Not the other way around. We don't earn favor by the works and earn faith. Our desire needs to be 
to develop a stronger faith and love in Jesus Christ. And through that, we will be obedient to his word. And then the last verse we're going to look at is 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If, it, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. <clears throat> so think about that. When we arrive in heaven, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to see that strong evidence of our, uh, of our obedience by that reward. What we don't want to see is the angelic fire department putting us out when we get to heaven. That would not be a good sign, right? Okay, let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you the, for the power of this section. We thank you that we see that your Father's requirement for us is to achieve the fullness of you, to be like you, and keep striving until we meet the mark. It's not to have that general idea of who you are. And it's to work together to build that unity, to build that peace. Father, we thank you for the time we are in today and, and how we are in this message and what it means for us. How the times will just get tougher and it's going to take a strong body to survive them. We thank you now that we get to show this unity and this love and this weekly reminder, Jesus, how we get to come together just like the first church did and take this communion and just remember the promises you have for us that when we are in heaven, when we come through there and we see our works and we hear well done and good and faithful servant, we all get to sit down and have this marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus, what a great day that will be. Help us to remember that. Amen.